I'm Nicole Curry, and this is Germantown Voices. Things fell apart last year. Money was going out, but none was coming in. People lost jobs, and some fields stopped hiring altogether. One field that took a beating last year was the arts. Because when we outlined the difference between essential and non-essential work, artists found themselves in neither category. Seemed like art was purely entertainment, not the full-time job people committed their life to. So the arts and cultural industry was left vulnerable at the beginning of the pandemic. Art galleries and venues accepted that their reopening date was not the same as other businesses. In fact, some are still not open. And I'm not here to compare other fields to artistry. I'm here to say the absence of both can be a great loss. So we have three stories that share the pandemic effects for artists, that share when an artist fell in love with their craft for the first time, and how art is used to help others. Because art is more than a pretty picture or a beautiful song. It has power and can move even the most stubbornest of people. And that's why it's vital. Our episode is The Other Essentials. Our first story is intimate. It almost sounds like eavesdropping on two Germantown artists. That's because musician Miles Butler interviewed his dear friend and poet Ursula Rucker. The two confided and shared how artists dealt with the uncertainty of a pandemic. Listen as Ursula and Miles transform their experience into poetry. Solar systems of many lives between us. May we find our ways home. Solar systems of many lives between us. May we find our ways home. The two haikus that I chose, the one at the beginning, um, is because that's what we are right now. Like we're all circulating around each other out in this, out in the ether. We can't see each other in person and we've had to learn these ways um, in a bubble of fear and not knowing what was gonna happen. And um, we've been doing that for a year. Or almost a year. And um, yeah, so we just keep building so, uh, so we don't crumble. The, uh, the last haiku, yeah, you know, when people hear it, it's, it's, it's because we can just, we gotta keep going. Yeah. You know, so when you hear it, you'll know that it has to do with us keeping our heads and hearts up. You know, the, the work that, that we both do and the work we met doing is absolutely rooted in that whole, that whole philosophy. You know, like the creativity out of necessity. 
you know, to me, that's definitely something that that lightens the heart and lightens the load. Um, almost create an expression as a, a refuge. That's why when we're like, hey, artists have to be paid, you know, this isn't a hobby. Mm-mm. You know? We don't we don't necessarily look at it as a job like other people look at their jobs because we like love it so much, but we take it as serious as a job. It's our life, it's our it's our culture, it's our philosophy, it's our whole way of being and doing everything. I wanted to talk about why we chose to do it this way. Yeah. Instead of meeting in person, which we could have done mm-hmm. and we're fully planning to do. But uh, the way we're making this is we're, we're doing this Zoom recorded conversation. I, we recorded one haiku via this Zoom recorded conversation and then one haiku I sent to you via voice memo, which is the first one. So people, just so you know, there's a like mixture and you can do things, you know? Yep. And Miles is the mix master, so. Well, um, I just get inspired. Then I was thinking, you know, how we created a lot like this last year um, out of necessity. Um, and in order to keep being creative, you know, um, keep that spirit and energy of creativity alive because it was keeping us alive. So I wanted to prove, show, um, by just making this little thing remotely. The final product for this that everybody, that all of you are gonna listen to is the final product of the kind of process we're talking about right now. So it's right. like all, everything is what we're talking about. Right, right. Yeah, and it's all rooted in, in the necessity for creative expression. And and, and that, that that's a unifier, you know? The necessity for creative response as well. Mm. What is yeah. happening, what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're experiencing to, to offer creative response to others as a way to to help themselves and heal themselves and then, and then and, uh, do it with others others as well. Right, right, like the beauty of art, you know, poetry, music, paintings, dance, that, that that art is a tool that not only helps the artist with that processing, but also the listener, the viewer, the reader, you know, have that moment of clarity. Even if like, you know, like in either of the haikus here, even if you had a, a very specific idea in your mind when you wrote that, or if it just unfolded naturally. There you go. Everything's connected. In, yeah. in the ether, we're learning new things. We're tired and we're traumatized, but we're learning new things and um, we're moving towards a new, a new way of being together. Yeah. Out of necessity. Hearts heavier than the heaviest of heavy things need lightening.
hearts heavier than the heaviest of heavy things need lightning. Thank you, Miles and Ursula. Artists, remember the first time you fell in love with your craft? Maybe it was a sure fit or maybe it took some more time to eventually love it. Well, we have a story about when Karen Smith fell in love with an instrument that is the backbone of most bands, the drums. As a very young person, five, six, or seven, I... I noticed that I loved, well, we had all types of music playing in the house and I loved to pick out or could pick out the sound of the drum. And it just was always attracted me. So I would find myself tapping on something, the table, paint cans, whatever I could tap on. And I did it more and more until probably like the, by, was, by the time I turned nine or 10, I knew that that's the instrument I wanted to play. But my mother said that was a boy's instrument. I never understood that part to this day. You know, she's long gone, but um, I never understood. How do you determine an instrument is for boys and what is for girls? You know, I never understood that. But anyway, I still would stay determined, you know, to want to learn. To, to get in touch with that sound. And so I never took classes because I wasn't allowed to, but I studied whatever I heard. And I grew into that art. I, I grew into it I, and, and, and kind of absorbed it. And I would play on anything I could get my hands on, you know, whatever was in, in front of me. I still tap it. To this day, I still tap on different things. <laughs> I feel the drum is the original communicator, period. You know, it's the original cell phone. It's the original um, It's the original sound that you would hear when, you, when people needed to gather for whatever reason. Something's happening, you know. Play that drum. The village will come together. And that's, to me, that's global. That's not just an African lifestyle. That's, that is. The drum is the original instrument. There is no setting where it can't be. I've definitely played in all kinds of situations, whether I was invited or not to play. And I found that once I took that drum out, whatever that drum I brought with me, you know, people listened. They wanted to hear it, you know, especially when they weren't expecting it, you know, because it's a heartbeat. I feel like it can solve all the world's problems if we had one big drum circle. I think art is an activism. <laughs> if you want to be an artist, you know, you're saying something. And, and you feel that other people need to, to hear it or see it as well, experience it. I feel like that is the biggest activism that can be. I think that's why artists are involved in every movement there has been in the history of. There's no way that you can do it without an artist of some kind being involved and being effective. You know, it's just not, it's, it has to be. There's always been music. There's always been a singer. There's always been some kind of... Uh, Poet, there's always been a writer, there's always been somebody or somebody's connected to some kind of rally movement, revolution, etc. You can't make it without the artist being up front. 
I've lived in a lot of sections here in Philadelphia, and I've I felt this is that area where it's it's just definitely more home homey, if you want to call it that. It's more homey than where I live. Grew up in, in New York, so I I like that. You know, almost like a Mayberry, if you want to. <laughs> Without Mayberry, didn't have the diversity though. <laughs> but this definitely has a diversity. You know, people with various backgrounds, different cultures, different religions, um, different spiritual perspectives. The human part of life and, and people are here in Germantown. Keep drumming on, Karen. Like most artists, when the pandemic began, work stopped for graffiti artist Nomad. Due to social distancing and studio closures, he found himself practicing his craft at home. Then something magical happened. The Germantown artist began gaining traction online for his work in and outside of Philadelphia. He was selling art left and right. And for someone who tags Black is Beautiful throughout the city, the only thing he could think of doing was paying that magic forward. Uh, what really started the nomad journey in Germantown, what, uh, it, would, it was really just me seeing so much development going on, so much, just almost like the neighborhood was just being sold off, kind of feeling like Black people were like constantly under attack from all angles. Um, so what I decided that I wanted to do was just start, uh, I guess, creating my own advertisements because I was tired of seeing like advertisements about liquor and just we buy houses and just, I was seeing too many signs up that uh, I didn't think were uh, positive. So um, I decided that um, I would start putting up messages that I felt resonated with me. I can describe it from a technical definition. It's really just a contour line face. And then because my partner, she was in art school and she was, uh, she had an exercise where she was doing contoured line faces. And I always liked just the fluidity of just being able to draw something without picking up your pencil or picking up whatever uh, writing utensil you were using. So um, I decided that I wanted to start putting that face up along with uh, certain phrases. And one of the things that I, uh, I did with the face was I made sure that it had because one of the things that I was told by my partner when they uh, when they when they're teaching you to do um, contoured lines, a lot of the faces that you're doing or a lot of the exercises that you're doing is European features. So I did I made it deliberate to give my uh, the nomad face like features of somebody who is of African descent. So I gave them an enlarged nose. Um, the lips look a little bit bigger than the thin lips you would see on a person that, has, that is of European descent. And some of the phrases that I tend to put up when I am writing are phrases like black is beautiful, um, free mumia. Um, one of the ones that picked up a lot of traction in Germantown was when I would write stop gentrifying this John. So like, 
a lot of times when I put up these phrases, it's just kind of how I'm feeling. Like it would be times when I, I would be walking my partner to work uh, and she would be going to like the, uh, the train station. So then I will always put up a, a note on, at the train station, like smile, you're blessed or like, you have a job, be happy. Like th just things to kind of remind people um, because I feel like a lot of people are like just kind of just stuck in the hamster wheel of life and they don't kind of take time to look around at their surroundings. Um, and and I, want it, I want it to be something pleasant when they do look around at their surroundings too. Not just so much like cool cigarettes and uh, St. Ives liquor and all that type of stuff. Like if, if you get what I mean. Like one of the first faces that got recognized, people were like, it was, it had got it picked up traction on Facebook. So like in the comment threads, like people were, people were trying to figure out who I was, and they're like, oh, is it a? And one of the things that made me the, the angriest was somebody being like, oh, it's probably like a, a hipster, like one of these white kids, hipster kids that just moved into the area. So um, one of the things that um, I made it, it was deliberate, was just to make sure that it had features and it had a face that looked, uh, that looked like it was a, a black person's face. So one, one artist, I, I talked to you about it before, an artist that I really, um, I really admired what he did was um, Keith Haring and how he was able, I really admire Keith Haring and Banksy. No, I'll start with Banksy first because his is not as long as Keith Haring, what Keith Haring did, because Keith Haring kind of was the foundation. But Banksy, what he does is he uses his artwork to shed light on things that he feels like aren't getting attention. Because he's so um, famous, his artwork can drive up value in places that seemed worthless with just by bringing foot traffic in there. Like you get what I'm saying? Like, so him putting up a mural on the side of a wall, that's bringing people into whatever community that they're going into. And those people are spending money in those businesses and it's helping out the community. Um, that's one of the things that I, I like to try to do. And as far as like with Keith Haring, I know that he, his and, and Banksy, their thing was they really liked to um, like performance art or like art for people who don't go to museums or just not those, just not that class, it's just art for everyday people. So it's one of those things where, um, granted, I do wanna to get to the point where I'm making um, like artwork that they wanna display in, in, in uh, like world renowned galleries and stuff like that, like just to receive that validation, just to be like, okay, that's cool. Um, but I do appreciate the fact that when you put out like street artwork, it's for everybody. Um, and that was one of my things where I felt like, like over the pandemic, because I was receiving so many, I was just receiving so many blessings. Like people, people were buying so much art from me. It got to the point where I was like, I can sell my artwork and help other people at the same time. Um, and it wouldn't take anything away from me. Just growing up in Germantown, I remember, I remember a lot of Black-owned businesses. So I remember just everywhere I kind of went or anywhere my mom took me or grandparents. Um, it was like a Black person that owned the store. And you kind of, it, it didn't really dawn on you 
while you were younger, you just kind of thought, oh, this is Mr. Jim's power. This is until you get older and then you realize and you look around and you like the majority of the the majority of the storefronts on Germantown Avenue that are closed down, they used to be black owned businesses. So um, one of my things was I was like, especially during the pandemic, I was like, I have to try try my best, however I can, to try to help black owned businesses that um, that I that I appreciate. What I did was I sold I I, I created prints to sell for two different black owned businesses, and one of them was in Germantown. Uh, it was uh, Junior Billy's Smokehouse. The connection that I had with Junior Billy's was uh, they were the first place in Germantown that allowed me to display my artwork without knowing who I was, without knowing anything about me. It was literally, I walked in there one day <clears throat> because anytime I see a black owned business open up, I always make it my, um, I make it my business to go in there and try to spend money with them and like just get to know the shop owner. So I went in there and I noticed that they didn't have anything on the walls. And I'm just like, hey, um, do y'all guys want to hang up any art? And they was like, you an artist? They was like, bring some art through. And I was like, yeah, somebody else just came through and we told him to bring some art and he brought it through. It was like, so if you want to bring some art through, bring it through. So even from there, um, and when I asked him, I'm like, do y'all want anything if I sell anything? And they was like, no, they was like, this is your artwork. If you could sell it, that's yours. Like, we don't want any of your artwork. And just them giving me that platform just to be like, not even knowing if my artwork was good or if it was work that they might like, it just was like, hey, you can put your artwork in here. So from them being that genuine and just um, that open and nice, I built up a rapport with them through um, the time that they were open. So then when it got around the time for me to, when it got around to the time for me to wanna create these prints, um, I thought about them, I was like, okay, I could just, give half of the proceeds to them. Um, and that was one of the things that I, I tried to tie into it, where it was like, okay, it's not only are you helping out a black owned business, you getting uh, limited edition art from somebody who you may appreciate the artwork that you, you may appreciate the message that they had. And just being able to sell those and just meeting different people. Um, I was selling art to people that weren't even from Philadelphia that were just like, oh, I, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I enjoyed it, but I wish I could have done more. I really do. I I just took that initiative where I was like, um, I've never seen anybody turn down donations. So uh, I just, uh, and, and then, you know, my whole thing where I work with a Poseidon, I can't really go around to people all the time. Like, hey, I, I do this street work. And even though I did let them know that um, I, I let them know who I was and I told them everything I was doing. So then they were like, oh yeah, we see your stuff all over the place. But um, as far as like creating that for them, I didn't tell them about it. It was just something that I felt like, um, I felt like it needed to be done because it was, um, it was one of those things where it's like, I could go here every single day and, so, and buy something from y'all or I can give y'all just a lump sum of money from something that I've created. And that, and I know that I know that will help as well. Like you get what I'm saying? And I know that you, um, you could, you would need it. So like, even when I would go in there, um, like after I told them that I was doing it, they were like, uh, you don't have to do that. And I'm like, I'm like, yes, I do. Like, I'm like, I appreciate what y'all are doing for the neighborhood. Um, so 
Yeah, I was like, it's the least that I could do. So like every time I would show up and give them money, they would be like, oh, like the the one chef, he'd be like, man, I told you, you don't got to do this. And I'm like, no, I got more coming for you. Like I, I told you that I was going to do this for you. And I was like, I, it's nothing, like not saying it's nothing, but it's it's the least that I could do. Um, so even like with the other business, um, and that was Franny Lou's, they're located in, um, they're located in uh, Kensington. And the reason that I chose them was because it's a, a black owned business ran by a woman in Kensington. And she actually gave um, my partner, she gave her her first platform when she was doing um, what she does. She allowed her to have like her first platform and she allowed her to uh, have like shelf space where she sells, um, she sells merchandise in her space. So, and I always, I, I'm one of those people where I remember the things that people kind of do for me. So it's like, if you do something, if you do something and I really appreciate it, then I'm going to, I'll show my gratitude, even though like I might not be able to show my gratitude right then and there, I, I always remember and I'll try to pay it forward. So um, that was the thing with Franny Lou's. Um, so that was why I had chose Franny Lou's. And it was because I didn't, um, I didn't really see, any other black owned businesses in Germantown that I frequented on a regular that were brand new and that needed the assistance. Like you get what I'm saying? Because there are plenty of black owned businesses in Germantown, but they've been up and they've been thriving. And I'm just happy that they were, um, they're doing what they're doing. And actually um, the place Hafiz, the Hafiz's sisters, they're the black owned beauty supply on Shelton. So they, they had actually opened up, I think they opened up after I had the, after I started doing the fundraiser. So I was like, I was actually upset at myself because I was like, I want to do something for them too. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where, uh, but I'm glad they made it through the pandemic. And it was one of those things where I know like with restaurants, it's like, they always say the, the hardest year is your first year. And I knew that especially during the pandemic and they were like an eating spot things where I knew that things were kind of, they weren't, they, things weren't the best for them. Um, if I could say that much. And that's why I decided to take it upon myself. And I was just like, you know what? I feel like I want to help them. That was, that was really how that came about. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying they were struggling. I don't want you to write, like, he, he picked out a struggling business. He was like, no, I, I selected, a, it was a brand new business and I built up a rapport with them. And I, and I felt like that was just the least that I could do to uh, just go hard for black businesses. Today, Nomad is brainstorming new ideas to help Black-owned businesses. A special thank you to the participants we interviewed and, of course, Germantown as a whole. The Germantown Voices podcast is an extension of the Germantown Voices project. 
a project launched by G-Town Radio and the Germantown Info Hub to document the various lives during the pandemic. This episode was produced by me, Nicole Curry, and Germantown resident Miles Butler produced our first story. The editor is Katie Davis, lead producer is Jeanette Woods, and this project would not be possible without IPMF and the Nightland Fest Fund.